It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Good afternoon, and thank you for tuning in here to Talent Talk. It's 1 o'clock, it's Tuesday, and we are here uh, talking to two really cool people about talent, culture, and um, everything else that comes around with employee engagement and running companies and, and having employees, having talent, and all those wonderful good, bad, and ugly, I guess, everything that comes along with it. We're going to talk about it today. So, you know, if this is uh, one of the first times you've turned in the show, first of all, welcome and thank you. Uh, secondly, you know, I'll kind of give you a little rundown on, you know, why the show exists and what we're trying to do here today. Um, you know, I've, I've had this really um, uh, a privilege, I would say, to, to meet so many inspiring leaders and come across so many people that are talking about talent and culture and are living it and breathing it, working in it. And so I love having conversations with those people. And so we designed this show to really allow other people to listen on that conversation so that I'm not the only one that gets to hear all the cool things that they have to say. Um, so hopefully as you listen in, you can learn something and use it down the road in your own work uh, with your employees inside of your companies, at home, wherever it may be. You know, and so many great stories have come out of these interviews. Uh, in fact, I've written a book, come out uh, in February. Really proud that we won a few, won an award and we um, it's now a bestseller. It's called The Power of Company Culture. A lot of really fascinating stories from the radio show and from those companies we talk about a lot on the show. Um, so love for you to check it out and go on Amazon or KoganPage.com and pick it up uh, today. So Talent Talk is live every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, unless, of course, I'm running around the road somewhere. And it can be accessed, though. Most of you get us on pod, uh, podcasts through iTunes or listen to us on iHeartRadio. Um, and the last several years, we've been averaging over 10,000 people a day coming in, downloading at least uh, a podcast or two, and really appreciate everyone's support and being a part of the show on a regular basis. So part of the, the fun of, of doing the show, besides talking to these cool people, is also to have that conversation continue with those of you that are listening. So we'd love to have you, you know, send us any sort of comments on whatever social media you're on, but we really try to channel everything for the show through Twitter. So... You can uh, send us questions to at PeopleG2, uh, questions, comments, guest suggestions, whatever it may be. Use that hashtag Talent Talk. Uh, you may or may not know, but you can actually get more characters now on Twitter, so you can fit a lot more. But um, my producer, Mike, will try to feed me in any good questions, or if it's after the show, we'll certainly respond and keep that conversation going. So let's go ahead and get to today's show. Um, I have two great guests on the show, as I mentioned. My first guest will be uh, Stephen Pat Scott. Uh, consulted at uh, Spencer Stewart and a former VP of HR for GE Healthcare. And then my second guest we'll bring after the commercial break will be Karen Volo, the director and co-founder of 
evolution or evolution i guess maybe the correct way to say it but let's go ahead and get to my first guest uh steven welcome to the show uh good afternoon chris and thanks for having me absolutely a pleasure to have you on why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself you know what's important for us to know about you your background uh, of course what you're doing right now over at spencer stewart uh you know especially for the context today for our conversation uh terrific well um I'm a uh, Wisconsin native, uh, diehard Green Bay Packer fan, and, and looking forward to a little bit of football coming up here pretty soon. Uh, went to school at the University of Wisconsin and studied, like uh, many people in HR, psychology, and had that uh, thought about maybe being a lawyer, maybe being a psychologist, and started interviewing people, Chris, in, in 1985, and, and my first taste of interviewing was... Uh, actually in the juvenile courthouse. And uh, I uh, really uh, realized then that I wanted no part of the criminal justice system and, and <laughs> probably wouldn't have been a good psychologist. And, and so I uh, was fortunate enough to, after grad school to find uh, HR. And, and uh, I like to say I had one and a half skills. <laughs> Skill number one was uh interviewing and skill half of one was sort of the basic understanding of psychology and I managed to get uh, hired by GE back in the day pre-internet and and GE Healthcare was a fabulous business. Um, we made uh, high-tech capital equipment and um, that was uh, you know a, a special time we grew from about two billion to twenty billion dollars while I was there I did a decade in the Welch era, a decade in the Jeff Immelt era, and got to see just about everything all over the world from an HR standpoint. And uh, I joined Spencer Stewart about six years ago uh, after you know sort of deciding that I had run my course as a uh, practicing HR person and wanted to be more entrepreneurial. And, and over the last six years, really. Uh, focused on two things here. Um, number one is uh, CHRO search work and have, have done uh, over 125 CHRO searches uh, since I've been here. And, um, and then uh, really an equal focus on leadership advisory services, which uh, is, uh, you know, in the area that you're very passionate about, culture, and congratulations on your book. That's absolutely awesome. And um, CEO succession and, and uh, top team effectiveness. So spend, spend probably 80% of my time uh, focused on kind of core search activity and then an increasing amount of time on this uh, whole topic of leadership advisory. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that. And so maybe we kind of dive into your your time at GE. I know you're kind of a, a recovering HR guy. So as you led the, the global HR teams uh, for General Electric um, before where you are now, I guess you kind of had the opportunity to see both sides of the function. Um, why, why does, why, I, mean, I guess maybe why do some people kind of have this negative thing towards HR? You know, where does this come from? I mean, there's some people who even hate, hate HR, right? And I, I look at HR as being that uh, place that really has the ability to make a huge change inside organizations, but sometimes it can really you know, run into the path of what people are trying to do. Do, do, do you sense some of that? Where do you think that's coming from? Absolutely. I, you know, um, if for those of your listeners who've been around for a while, you'll remember the kind of seminal Fast Company article 
that was uh, headlined, Why Do People Hate HR? And, and um, you know, what, what, I, what I like to say is a lot of people actually really like their HR person but hate the function of HR. And so, you know, if you think about, well, why is that? Um, you know, principally I think of it, uh, there, there's two root causes. Number one is the system design of HR isn't meant to or isn't functioning properly to serve their needs, whatever they may be, uh, effectively. And, and so there's, you know, it's, it's hard to figure out, what, you know, why you got this taken out of your pay or it's hard to post for a job or it's hard to understand, you know, what courses you should take. And, you know, people want things to work and they want it to work simply and, and you know, when the system doesn't desi- isn't designed uh, to optimize your your success, then then you struggle. But maybe a, a, a more difficult and more complex, uh, you know, answer is the fact that there's really an inherent paradox in the function of HR. And if, if you think about it, um, you know, many of your guests have been in big HR jobs and. They're asked to cut costs yet invest in people. They're asked to uh, drive employee discipline and, and make sure that you know the environment is compliant while at the same time building a high engagement culture. And and so there's a lot of paradox in the system and and and, and unfortunately, you know, a lot of times HR is asked to work both sides of the uh, you know uh, balance sheet in that sense. And 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 then they hate HR, you know because they tilt to one axis or the axes or the other in the you know, GE we always talked about um, balancing the being a people advocate and business partner and you know a lot of a lot of HR people are phenomenal people advocates and we know a lot of HR people who are really strong on business side but that balance um, you know when you need somebody to be an advocate for you and you over amp on the business partner, you know, you feel let down. And, and, and so there's some good reasons and there's some work ahead for the function to do. Yeah, absolutely. And I think really the, the market for HR professionals has really sort of changed um, how we view them, what, what our role is, technology, and a, certainly an, an influ- or a bit more of an understanding of how culture plays inside of companies has given HR a better seat at the table. Um, what are you seeing the market look like today for HR professionals? You know, Chris, we're uh, really blessed. We we get to work at the top of the market, so we're doing, you know, a lot of CHRL searches. We're also doing a lot of big division generalists and head of talents and uh, total rewards. And and um, you know, I have to say that um, the market is as robust as we've seen it in the last five years. We're uh, as as are several of our competitors. Very very busy. And uh, it's a dynamic market, and, and you know we've kind of returned back to the war for talent, and and so I'd say um, you know we're at record uh, levels, and and the market is dare I say hot. Yeah, and and given such low unemployment and demand, uh, it doesn't it's not any surprise um, that you're p- placing that many. Maybe what sort of leadership skills or what sort of capabilities are needed? To really, you know, let's talk about the CHROs, these top people that you're placing inside world-class HR organizations. What does that skill set look like that that they need to come and deliver in order to be placed into those, you know, best-in-class organizations? You know, I I, I think 
you'd expect me to say strategic business partner, trusted advisor, functional expert, all those sort of things. So I'll, I'll try to come up with a few that sound a little bit more provocative and a little bit more thoughtful. So the, you know, going back to the why people hate HR, you know, I'd say the first one you need to be good at at this level, at the CHRO level, is a paradox navigator. And, and, you know, think about it in terms of that, um, all, all those different tensions that you have in an organization. How do you grow, but you can't grow everywhere? Where do you place your bets? Who, um, you know, where do you invest? Where do you not invest? Uh, you know, how do you make sure that you have engagement with high compliance? And um, so you got to navigate the paradox. Maybe the most important thing uh, these days is something that I would call a credible activist. And a credible activist is somebody that has deep business understanding but a voice with courage. And if you think about all the work uh, that's occurring on whether it's equal pay or Me Too or some of the very sensitive topics, you've got to be able to take a position on tough topics with a uh, a voice of courage and yet deep understanding of the business. And, and I think where HR fall, has fallen down in some companies is they've lost that credible activist role. Um, human capital accelerator, and to me, you know, everyone will talk about talent and talent management, but this is really about accelerating the velocity of your human capital, whether you got 10 people or 10,000 or 100,000 and being able to diagnose the future needs of that capital and whether you can build it, buy it, or, or um, you know, partner to get it, but, uh, you know, human capital accelerator. And then, you know, it is the CHRO. It's a unique relationship with the board, with the CEO, and that trust, trusted advisor as old as time is still equally valuable in terms of the, you know, maybe four kind of skill sets that I think are critically important for that CHRO. Yeah, and you're really kind of uh, talking about a lot of different things there, um, and I, I really appreciate that you kind of remove some of the um, initial very common things we see on resumes, right, or LinkedIn language or things like that, strategic partner and all that, because um, it is a really important role inside organizations. Um, you know, if we kind of push this out to general HR, right? Not just our CHROs, but those those people in general in HR. I know you've placed over 200, you know, senior level people uh, in those types of roles. But um, what what kind of makes someone, uh, a, you know, a real HR leader? You know, regardless of whether or not they're the CHRO or not. You know, are there certain characteristics you think that that they need to be to be a great HR leader? Well, you know, you you've had the privilege, as you said, of talking to a lot of people on your show, and, uh, you know, some of them have been incredibly talented HR people, and I'm going to ask you to answer the same question, uh, <laughs> if you don't mind, but, you know, my, a top of my mind would be, you know, first and foremost, they have an enormous impact, and so when they leave, you really feel the whole. And they have an enormous impact because they're a builder. And they actually find ways to help individuals and organizations get better. And, you know, think about it when you have heard about people leaving a company 
And, you know, sort of the ying is we can't wait for Steve to leave. And, uh, oh, my God, how are we ever going to replace him? He's going to leave such an incredible hole. And, you know, if you're a builder, if you really have an enormous impact on all aspects of the business, um, that is differentiation. Um, They're role models. You know, they're role models of leadership. They're role models of stewardship. They're role models of development. And, you know, I believe life is sort of a normal distribution, and there's a top 10% that, you know, are incredible at building. They're incredibly impactful. They're great role models. They, they take an enterprise view, and they connect the dots, and then they optimize the system. They're, they're talent magnets. I mean, the best CHROs are always great recruiters. And whether it's for their own team or for the executive uh, level talent or doing board searches, they're just great talent magnets. And then last but not least, and and sort of at the epicenter of all of those is trust. They're they're trusted. Even in very difficult circumstances, they continue to maintain a high degree of trust uh, with their teams, with their peers, with their boss, and with their board. Yeah, those are all really, really important um, uh, factors uh, to, to kind of uh, respond to your request and what I see. Um, you know, I think a lot of times the best HR uh, leaders are very similar to some of the best CEOs that we've also had on the show, and they they share a couple characteristics. Now, they're very different, ultimately different people and different um, from a general standpoint. And CHRO, I think, takes a kind of a different person than a CA, CEO, but they do. I notice share two characteristics that um, seem to keep happening over and over again on our show, and that is they they tend to be lifelong learners. I mean, they just can't learn enough. I mean, they're reading five books at one time, and they go to every conference, and they're just, you know, have this unquenchable thirst to learn more and to get better and to help those around them get better, right? Um, And then the second characteristic I notice is that they know how to look at a lot of different ideas. Sort of ideation would be the strengths finder's uh, strength. So, they can look at a you know a hundred good ideas. Everyone's coming at them all day long with requests and ideas and thoughts, and but they know how to pick the one or two that are really going to make a difference, and not get caught up into let's try every you know new piece of software. Let's let's tr- let's not try every new idea everybody has. Let's let's figure out which one of the best ones to give us our you know biggest bang for our buck, and then really make them happen and, and execute on them. So that's sort of what I noticed. I don't know if that parallels at all with any of your experiences. Uh, well, I think you know we're maybe using different words, but having the same meaning for sure. Because I would say you know what what you just said was. Uh, ideate and focus and and that focus is equal to what i would say my enormous impact and then the i i I probably didn't give enough credit to lifelong learner but i totally agree with you i mean they're they're always trying to find ways to take new and disparate information and 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 plug it into the enterprise grid and figure out how to optimize the grid and and, you know, maybe the other thing is they're not afraid to fail. 
um, you know, too many of HR people are very strong on, in, in, in our cultural uh, model, we talk about order and safety and, and six other dimensions of culture. And, you know, that's important, but if you're not willing to uh, innovate and experiment and, like you said, ideate, you know, you're not going to continuously improve the enterprise system. So um, I, think, I think, you know, you're, you're absolutely on, on two big ones because a lot of, uh, you know, you could take the flip side of that and say, well, why do HR people fail trying to do too much or trying to do everything at a sort of mediocre level. Right, right. So, you know, uh, let's maybe kind of flip this on its head for a second and talk about what should CHROs or other senior level HR people be looking for in the organizations they might be joining in the leadership, you know, maybe even specifically in the CEO that they might be reporting to. You know, are there some important things that you talk about with your placements or what they should be thinking about and looking at as they look to, to possibly change, you know, from one company to the next. Yeah, I, I think um, there's really a couple of interesting nuances as you as you get to uh, know people and talk to people, especially you know, let's take two types of uh, people. One is you're a person looking for your first CHRO opportunity, and Sally is a person who's been a two-time CHRO and is looking for her third gig. These tend to be a little bit different because as you look for your first opportunity, you don't always get what you want. Sometimes you get what you need. A tough situation, a a, a boss or an industry that's less ideal. and as you develop your credibility and your capability, you get to be a little more discerning. But, but if I were sort of to have to split the middle there and, and, and say, give some advice, and, and, you know, you know a little bit about reference checking and data gathering and intelligence. And one of the things I rarely see people do is reference your potential boss. And that's a... You know, everybody has a reputation. Everybody has, um, you know, uh, a brand. And if you do a little bit of homework, you can find a lot of information uh, on your boss. Um, and, and and then be honest with yourself. I think HR people, CHROs are especially, are, are pretty good at opting out of a situation that they don't think they're going to be contextually right for. But if you can get enough due diligence on that um, boss and the culture. Um, the, the other big one is don't be afraid to clarify desired outcomes. Um, what do you really need done? Um, how long do you expect that to take? What kind of investment are you willing to make? Because at the end of the day, um, Probably the people who struggled the most uh, and, and ultimately maybe worked really hard and liked their job but just didn't get traction was it was a disconnect on expectations. And a lot of that, I think, can be done up front. Uh, you know, when, when we get together with clients, we actually spend a lot of time writing the spec. And, you know, it's sort of a a lost art form, but maybe the most important thing that we have in that spec is 
what are the, you know, what does success look like? What is the desired outcomes that that client is really hoping that CHRO will do? And, 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 and then can you be honest with yourself and say, can I deliver this? And, you know, personally, I think if you were to say to me, hey, I've got an interview in two minutes with the CEO, um, what, what's the most valuable thing that I can do to figure out if I'm going to work well with that person is, Try ask them as many questions as possible that would give you a diagnosis on what do they really care about within their organization. And CEOs love to talk about their company and their business and their customers. And through asking some high-quality questions of that CEO, you can really um, diagnose what do they really care about. And if you don't hear talent, if you don't hear culture, if you don't hear um, development, you, you, you know, and you've asked high quality questions, you know, you're, you're, you'll, you'll sort of see about what they do care about by what they emphasize. So th- that, that would maybe be a um, kind of sure. short list of things that a CHRO could, could look for when look, and I do tell people all the time, you know, you're really interviewing the boss because you could be the most fabulous HR person in the world and if the boss only cares about, you know, 25, 30% of your capability, you're going to be incredibly frustrated. Well, we're here uh, talking to uh, Stephen Pescott and uh, really appreciate you being on the show here today. looks like we're, we're at the end of our time, but want to make sure that we uh, give you the opportunity. How can people get a hold of you if they're interested in learning more about Spencer Stewart? Maybe they need your help finding their next awesome CHRO CHRO. Uh, what's the best way for them to, to find out more? Um, you can get us on uh, SpencerStewart.com, our company website. A lot of really good information there. Um, you can reach me at spatscott at Spencer Stewart. And uh, I'm also available always on LinkedIn. And uh, um, happy to be helpful to anybody, uh, any of your listeners. Well, again, Steve, thanks so much for being on our show today and giving us so many great things to think about. And I love the conversation we had kind of kind of hitting HR from a different angle today. So um, hopefully we can have you come back at some point and give us uh, an update on everything that you're doing. Um, but we'll be right back after this com- quick commercial break with my second guest, Karen Volo. Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months. And the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that PeopleG2 offers something different. At PeopleG2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, PeopleG2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly through our online system or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. Uh, if you missed it, we just had a really uh, good interview with uh, Stephen Patscott, consultant at uh, Spencer Stewart. 
Um, don't forget, you can uh, find us on iTunes, iHeartRadio. You can also go to TownTalkRadio.com and find this episode, probably um, be by next week, but you can find all of our past episodes there. Love to have you do that. And also, don't forget to find us on Twitter. Keep that conversation going. Send us your comments, your suggestions, your questions to the guests and myself um, at PeopleG2. Use the hashtag TalentTalk. Let's go ahead and bring my next guest. It'll be uh, Karen Volo, the director and co-founder of, and I'm hopefully I'm saying this correctly, uh, Evolution. Um, so let's go ahead and bring it. Karen, welcome to the show. Thank you, Chris. It's an honor to be here, and it's actually called Evolution. <laughs> Evolution. So I've, I, this is, um, I, if I don't screw up somebody's name at least once per show, it the universe might end. It's just, it, it is a necessity. So why don't you tell everyone about yourself and your background and what what's important for us to know about what you're doing at your company um, and and uh, a little bit of your background as well. Sure, that's great. Um, I am known as a chief joy bringer. My purpose is bringing joy to the workplace. And the company that I run is called Evolution and we specialize in transforming cultures through engagement and purpose and uh, leadership training. Basically, um, kind of interesting. I'm half American, half Swedish. So I'm based in Sweden, um, very late here. And, uh, you know, my professional background is executive search and headhunting, which is kind of interesting considering your previous guest here. But uh, basically, I was I was agreeing. Yeah, I was. I didn't realize we had uh, two people from the same kind of world on today. So yeah, that's, but keep going. <laughs> well, I, I don't work with that anymore. So basically, yeah. you know, um, we transitioned into actually helping companies keep their best people instead of taking their best people out of them, and and specialize in in corporate training. Well, fantastic. And so everyone knows uh, evolution the way. Uh, I care spelling it as E-V-O-L-O-S-H-E-N, which is why I struggled with it. I can read, but I did struggle with it a little bit. Um, I know you're a recognized uh, global expert in engagement, and it's really fascinating to hear you kind of say that you went from, you know, poaching to, to protecting, it sounded like. Um, how did you start to, to work really around this topic uh, of engagement? Yes, I wrote a book called Engage, and uh, that book was launched in 2013. And basically, um, just to give you a little backstory, how I transitioned from executive search, went through a pretty, I won't get into the whole personal story, but a pretty rough period of my life for about four years and learned a whole lot during this really difficult time. And when I came out of that, I realized I can't go back to the headhunting. I meant to teach what I had learned and basically wanted to figure out a way to take it into the corporate world. And so um, back then, basically, it was tough times. Companies were struggling. People were laying people off. And then there were certain companies that were popping on my radar saying, well, you know, they're really happy. They're recruiting people. They're growing and customers love them. What are they doing differently? And so it ended up, um, we featured 15 what we call amazing companies um, in different industries, different geographical locations, and different ownership structures, and discovered a formula of how they're working with engagement and how they're creating a culture and environment that really attracts top talent and brings in, you know, the best people, and, and they're able to be basically, kind of the buzzword now is the high-performance culture. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, you and I seem to have some parallels there going through a tough time and kind of, you know, discovering some of those cool lessons about engagement, about how we work. And um, I loved your introduction of being a, 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 a deliverer of joy. I mean, bringing joy to into the workplace is, is fantastic. So 
I'm going to guess this is going to kind of tie into, and maybe you could talk about what the five um, cultural keys are that you talk about. Yeah, so this is the formula, basically, that was shared with us from these companies. Um, and I'll tell you, when we wrote the book, Engage, it was based on the Gallup study for the U.S. Um, workforce. And at that point, 30% of the people were um, engaged, and basically 70% were disengaged or actively disengaged. And I thought, that's just a crisis. What is going on? That's really bad. And after the book went to print, it turns out that actually that was pretty good, <laughs> considering the global ratings. So, you know, now the latest Gallup study has come out, and globally we have 15% of the workforce is engaged. Um, the formula that these 15 companies shared with us, and I'll share, there were companies, um, some you'll know, it's like Southwest Airlines, Virgin, Zappos, Tom's, um, all sorts of different companies. And the five cultural keys basically are how they were working actively with their culture very deliberately. So the first one is collaboration. And that's taking teamwork to the next level where they really believe that everybody's working together for the greater good of, you know, the whole organization. Second one is creativity. That's allowing the innovation and the ideas to come from within the organization. Third one is um, connection. And what we mean by that is basically how they are connecting on a deeper emotional level through the values, through the purpose. The fourth cultural key is celebration. That one is all about... Um, more than just having fun, but it's about recognition, uh, appreciation, looking at what's going well. And then the last one is contribution, some level of giving back, some way of tying that business to something that's doing, at making a difference in the world, which basically satisfies a, a basic need, you know, human need that we have, that we all want to feel like um, we belong and we're involved with um, something that means something. So those are the five cultural keys. That's the formula of how we started to work with culture. So as you're looking at some of the companies that are doing it well, right, there are, there are Olympic athletes of, of businesses, um, and then there's everybody else, right? All of us are <laughs> struggling along and trying to, to do our best. And so where do you see, you know, from an average company or maybe even just those that are just a step below um, what some of the best of the best are doing? You know, where are their biggest challenges? Where are there opportunities for them to really grow and, and to, get, to get better inside of this, you know, engagement and culture um, uh, bubble that we're, we're kind of putting them in right now? Yeah, so this has been an interesting journey in learning how to work strategically with engagement. And I'll tell you, I mean, the five cultural keys are great. Um, what I have found is that, and, and the reason why I like them is because it makes culture tangible. And what I'm finding right now is the softer sides of business like um, engagement, culture, purpose, trust, all of those things are actually being measured and making much, being made much more tangible. So, like some of the biggest challenges that I've seen in working with a lot of companies now is basically you can do a lot of work with culture, but if you don't have that underlying basis of a bigger purpose as to why you're doing what you're doing in the company, and even more importantly, the level of trust. Because I see that we're having a, a, a pretty big trust crisis right now in our world, basically through companies, through institutions. And if you don't have that level of trust, it's really hard to get the rest of the stuff to the, with the culture to really stick. So that's where I'm seeing kind of, I'm being drawn more and more to work with trust and, and work with leaders in developing, you know, they're improving their levels of trust and how can you work with that very consciously and deliberately as well. So I hadn't intended, I don't you know, usually bring out my book, but because we're having so many kind of parallels here, I thought it might be interesting <laughs> to 
to, to talk about. So you had your five cultural keys. I had seven pillars, you know, good, good numbers there. But, um, you know, one of my pillars was uh, transparency. And I'm wondering if you could talk about if you see any correlation. For me, I see a correlation between how no matter how much they're measuring engagement, no matter how much they're trying to make it better, if companies are ultimately transparent about what's really going on, what it really takes to get you a promotion, um, you know, whether or not they're really profitable, um, those kinds of things that we sort of have that disengagement of, of trust. Is that what you're seeing? Or does trust come from some other area that I'm not identifying here? So transparency is definitely a part of trust, but there's a lot of other elements that are involved as well. Um, one of the things that's been interesting for me is that I've gone quite deep into the neuroscience. So the leadership training I do is actually called Net Leadership, which is the neuroscience of engagement and trust. And when you learn kind of the neuroscience of what happens, and, and what's fascinating with this is that I've worked with people you know, I'm based in Europe, so I work all over Europe, um, but I've worked with people with different cultures, as well as, um, you know, the company culture, but also the country culture. And right. when you boil it down to the neuroscience, that transcends all differences, because we're all human. And when someone learns how they react through conversations and how they can impact people through the conversations and how they're saying things, um, it's transformative. It makes such a difference. So, so trans... Uh, um, yeah, the transparency is definitely a part of it, but there's also so much more that goes behind it that people can start to work with trust as well. And now this is really an area that people should be, I think, spending some time this year. Um, neuroleadership and this uh, entire conversation around how the, this study can really impact our leadership capabilities, our interactions with our, our employees, our direct reports, whatever it may be. Um, in fact, we have a big event here locally on Thursday around neuroleadership um, and the impact it's having in our county. So um, I think it's pretty huge. And it's, it, I would say about maybe a third of the people I talk to know what it is. And the other two thirds say, what? A neuro what? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, where should what, what's maybe the, the, the entry point? Is there a good place for them to start? You know, the maybe the Dr. Seuss version here of, of neuro uh, uh kind of science as it relates to, to engagement and culture? Well, I mean, the neuroscience is all about how the brain works and how our, you know, and, and really I think it's about connecting the brain and the heart. And there's so much new research coming out um, that really explains it in such a way that makes it tangible and, and I think pretty easy to understand. Um, you know, I think if I can give two examples here just as a quick crash course on this, that would be sure, great. Sure, please. Um, so if you are driving down the road and someone cuts you off and you just start to, you know, cuss them out and you're pissed off and you're yelling at them, right? I mean, pretty much everyone's had that experience at some point in their life, right? What happens there is an amygdala hijack. And what happens is on a neurochemical basis is that you've got um, cortisol running through your body and it cuts down. It shuts down your ability to have the higher thinking where your creativity is, where your um, ability to see long term into the future. And that's basically, it's a fear or distrust network. Um, if you are, and we'll take the other extreme, in a situation where you absolutely love what you're doing, and let's say you're in a company and the CEO is very passionate and, and you're inspired by this person and you feel really great, well, that's opening up the prefrontal cortex where oxytocin is running through your system. And when oxytocin is running through your system, then basically you're able to 
have your higher function. It's called the executive brain. And so we've got these two extremes. And when you learn this stuff, then then really, you know, you can't, like I always like to say, you can't unlearn it. <laughs> you just have to practice it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and there's really so much there. Um, I, I love to talk about cognitive biases and also, um, you know, even situational things where, you know, you put people in a room and they're hungry, you put them in a very cold room or a very hot room, you're, you're pretty much going to guarantee they're not going to agree with you, they're not going to engage with you on whatever it is that meeting is about, right? There's these certain things that um, kind of go into setting people up to be successful and to be open and, and ready to, to have an honest conversation or a real conversation about whatever it is that's going on. So are, are there places where maybe companies are um, kind of making some mistakes with this, with with engagement, or maybe sort of ignoring some of the neuroleadership type lessons, are, are you seeing some of those on a regular basis? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, my my pet peeve here is you know the CEOs that do the kickoff or the you know the annual thing and think okay that's it we're done with engagement. It's like engagement is very volatile; it's constantly changing. So you have to be working with it on an ongoing basis. Um, another major mistake I see a lot of companies doing is not emotionally anchoring people into the company through the values through the purpose getting people connected on a deeper level you know i've I've seen people that go in and say okay it's time to be engaged let's be engaged and it's like you can't demand engagement you have to kind of pull it out Mm -hmm. of people and bring the best you know make them be motivated to want to be engaged at the workplace and the other thing i just want to mention too here is that for me when i talk about engagement um it's very much a two-way street i always talk to you know all the trainings we do, how important it is for each person to take personal responsibility for their own engagement, but then the company has also an opportunity to create a culture that people can thrive in. So it's a two-way street. Yeah, I, I had to explain to a, um, a leader one time who didn't get it. I mean, they just thought like, well, what you're what, basically what you're saying, right? That they just would give their one time a year speech and they just expect people to be engaged and they had a cool product and they had a cool office and they just expected engagement and they didn't have it. And I said, you know, if you just walked into a bar and yelled out, I want a date, do you think that would work very well? You (laughs) know, probably not. You know, uh, you have to like talk to people and you figure out who you get along with. And, you know, I mean, there's a lot more to it than just demanding it. So um, it's fascinating that you're kind of getting into some of that as well. Uh, maybe you could talk a little bit about how you help organizations, you know, kind of stop making some of these mistakes in their engagement practices, and and also maybe how you know how to develop or kind of maintain some of that engagement that might you know get them to what we look at as some of those award-winning, you know, really dynamic top cultures. Yeah. So there's, and this is this is you know the reason we called our company Evolution is because I believe we're constantly evolving and growing, and that's really one of the key motivators as a human basic need. Um, so the two ways that we work with companies um, basically are one is that they we have a certification training that's actually pre-approved by both um, SHRM and the HRCI that uh, make people experts on how to strategically work with the culture. I, we call it cultural engagement instead of employee engagement because it's really about taking it on the organizational level and being able to work with it. And when companies send people to that training, um, it really helps them 
um, to have people inside of the organization that can support top management in terms of working strategically with engagement. And then I had mentioned the the net leadership as well. Um, you know, I've gotten pulled into that quite a bit because I'm finding the more and more that I work with these, you know, companies and larger organizations that if they don't have that foundation of trust with the leadership, it, it just, that's such a key element to building a strong foundation and, and really working with the culture strategically. Yeah, and it, it really can help as you have a good framework and you have a good approach and I guess sort of kind of knowing where, where you want to go. It, are, are there pit, pitfalls that can happen? You know, I mean, so we certainly understand the importance of it. And I, I notice a lot of times there are companies or leaders that maybe don't quite understand the value or they don't understand what the risks are. So are, are there risks or pitfalls that, that maybe we ought to be thinking about um, as our, if our employees are not fully engaged? Um, yeah, you know, I, I also talk a lot about sustainable engagement because I think a thing that I see so often now is that um, employees are getting burned out. And they're, you know, I think in the, I'm trying to figure out, like, why is this happening? Why is this such a, you know, it seems like an epidemic, really. Um, and I think it goes back to the, the lean years where we had to downsize and then basically, you know, people were doing the, the job or the work of two people and then they just never hired someone back for that um that's i think part of it and then i think the other part is that we're all on information overload so there's just so much coming in so i think you know in terms of the pitfalls uh, you got to take care of your employees because if they if they're not happy and the customers can totally pick up on if employees love the company or not um you know i will often talk about you know don't you want your employees to love their job and of course they do because then they're engaged they love what they're doing they're passionate they're bringing in lots of good energy into their organization and you know what it has a big impact on health i mean if we look at the studies like you know it's like 300 billion per year that it costs companies just for stress alone so yeah it has a huge impact um i i'd love to share it i came across a study with um I think it was on psychology today, I can't remember exactly, but it stuck with me so much because it just, they, they did a study on parents who were working really long hours and not being home with their kids and thinking that was going to have a really negative impact on the kids. And what they found was that the parents who were gone and not spending as much time with their kids, if they actually loved their work, it had no impact on the kids in a negative way. But what they did find is that the parents that were hating their jobs, totally disengaged, hated what they did, came home and were miserable, those kids actually had a much higher um, occurrence of both teen suicide and, and bullying. And so, you know, it looks to, you know, have an impact that ripples down into the family unit, but also into society as well. So that's one of the reasons I'm so passionate about, you know, working with engagement and culture and helping companies really kind of crack that nut. So good engagement, not only can it radically impact our customer service interaction with our clients not only can it help you know keep uh, maybe kind of ward off fatigue and and maybe losing uh, some of your best people but it might also save your kids lives so i, I don't know i think i think we've we've, we've 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 sold everyone on engagement they ought to be hiring a consultant to come and help them tomorrow so um I, you and i are on the on the same team or the same cheerleaders for the same cause i think um i, I think it's super super important um, you know, some of the uh, other kind of non-specific uh, 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 to, to culture things that we've been asking our guests, we kind of have a couple of questions I want to make sure we, we throw at you before we let you go. Um, 
And that is, is there an app or a gadget or something that you've added to your life this year that you could share with us that our listeners might want to check out? Oh, that's a great question. Um, That's interesting. So because I'm so into the neuroscience, um, I'm quite interested in, you know, what's out there that can help. And I don't know if you're familiar with vision boards, like, you know, basically putting together what you really like, right? So I have an app that um, I have partnered with with a company called MindPT. So it's Mind Physical Therapy, basically. Um, And it's available on our website. I'll give you the website at the end here. But basically, this is like a vision board on steroids. And it's all these beautiful pictures. And you listen or you watch, you know, the the different ones you can have. And they've asked me to do two. One is for um, employees being engaged and then also for leaders. Um, But they have all sorts of different types of apps or or different videos you can watch. So you download the app and... uh, you go to our website you can get a free one that's why i'll send you there to to kind of get into this but basically you watch the app in the morning for five minutes and um you know kind of getting back a little bit to the research again if you watch negative something negative in the morning let's just say you're watching the news in the morning the research shows it has a six to eight hour negative impact for the rest of your day (laughs) so it's like don't watch the news in the morning. Um, watch Mind PT instead, and that five minutes is really going to get you in the right frame of mind to be engaged, motivated, excited, looking forward to things. And and the neuroscience, there's like so much into it behind this. So yeah, it's a great app. What about books? Is there a, a book that you're reading right now that you might share with us? Um, yeah, I've actually just started an interesting book called Who Can You Trust? <laughs> it's by Rachel Botsman, um, and she's someone I've recently found, and since I'm working so much with trust, um, I find it fascinating. And I'll just share a little tidbit of what she shares as well, is that, you know, we are in a trust crisis, but, you know, it's the big institutions, our kind of industrial-based models or, you know, institutions, companies, governments, whatever, um, nobody trusts them anymore, and there's probably reasons why. Um, but what where people are finding trust is that we're finding trust with person to person through technological platforms. So you know, for example, we never used to get in cars with strangers, but now we do it every day. If you're using you know Uber or any <laughs> of those, or you go and you're traveling and you stay in someone else's home, well, you would never stay in someone's home. But the technology is kind of bridging that trust gap. So. I'm fascinated by all this. Yeah, that is, that is fascinating and probably all ties back into something neurological as well. So we'll definitely uh, look to check that book out. Uh, how can people get a hold of you if they're interested in learning more? Obviously, you said you had a website. I want to make sure, again, we spell the company name. It's E-V-O-L-O-S-H-E-N, Evolution, in case uh, you had the same problem I did at the beginning of the show. But uh, how can people get a hold of you if they want to learn more? Yeah, so you know, our website is evolution.com, just like you spelled it which is a little bit different. Um, You can just Google my name, Karen, it's K-A-R-I-N, and last name is Volo, V-O-L-O. You know, I'm available on LinkedIn. You can get me through the websites, um, uh, you know, and I'm always interested in talking to people or connecting with people and, you know, who are passionate about doing this work and really want to transform people and bring joy to their workplace because that's what we're all about. Well, Karen, thank you so much for being a part of the show today and also for calling in so late. Uh, Across the globe. I really appreciate it. Um, and uh, hopefully we can have you come back at some point and give us an update on everything that you're doing. That's great. Thank you so much, Chris. It was great to meet you and have a chance to be here. Thank you. So thank you again for everyone who's uh, tuned in today or listening after the fact on iTunes or iHeartRadio. Hopefully you gain some insight that will help you in your own career in a positive way. 
Next week, my guests will include uh, Cecil Purr, founder of uh, Whirling Chief, and Kevin Grossman, the president of global programs at Talent Board HR. Until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2. 